How we doing, North? Oh, you got a little bit more in you than that. How we doing? It's a beautiful day outside. Beautiful day. I want to say, I think that is the calmest I have ever seen Michael Bergstrasser in my entire life. Hello, my name is Michael Bergstrasser. My name's Clint Smith, and I'm the executive pastor here at North. It's so good to be with you today. We are going to continue the series, Audacious Prayers, and it's been fantastic so far. Week one, prayer one. Shannon led us off with, Lord, use me. The second week, second prayer, Pastor Rodney prayed the prayer and taught us on, Lord, give me a new heart. And then last week was, Lord, I surrender everything. Before we get to what the prayer is today, I thought it'd be appropriate to start with a Russell story. Now, I'm going to warn you, he did not buy a dirt bike on Amazon this time, okay? It's not quite that heavy, but it is a pretty good story. So my dad lives local in the area, goes to North Church. He likes to call us and text us from time to time and say, hey, I'm going to come by and pick up one of the littles or maybe even both of them and take them to Walmart, okay? There's no more Toys R Us, so I guess Walmart's the place to go to get toys these days. And he stops by one evening, just this past few weeks, and he picks up Russell. They're off to Walmart. I did not know this, but evidently Pop and Russ have this ongoing list worked out. That Russell has many, many, many things on his mental list that he wants from Walmart, and he and Pop kind of have this whole order of cadence of when things are going to happen and be purchased or not be purchased, okay? It's, it's pretty crazy. So Pop, while a great-grandfather, he's incredible. Lindsay and I are so thankful for him. He's horrible at buying gifts. He picks him up, they go to Walmart, come back to the house. He just drops Russ off because no, he knows we're on the inside and Russ walks in, not with a toy, but he walks in with a hammer. <laughs> it's a pretty nice hammer. It's a multi-tool hammer that actually has a screwdriver on the inside of it, two, two screwdrivers. So I'm thinking, God, give me wisdom in this situation. Because there may be a few seven-year-old boys that can handle having a hammer at their disposal at any time they want, but not my seven-year-old boy, okay? That, that means like broken window type stuff. So I said, son, give daddy the hammer, and then when you want to play with it, I'll get it out for you so you can play with it. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, it's probably never a good idea to give a seven-year-old a hammer, Right? So you can see where this goes. I put the hammer away, and for the next four or five days, Daddy, 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 can I have my hammer? No, son, not right now. It's not a good time. Daddy, 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 can I have my hammer now? Hey, Dad, Dad, can I have my hammer? Finally, I cave. I give him the hammer. He goes outside to play, and I walk into our bedroom. As I'm coming down the hallway, I hear this loud knocking going on outside. I go to the front door to open it up. 
Now, Lindsay and I moved into an older home a few years back that has a beautiful yard and, and great trees in it, and I am a little protective of my fescue and my oak trees, okay? Don't park on my fescue, I'm just saying. We don't have curbs, don't park on my fescue. I open up the door, and Russ is right there in front of me, nailing a screwdriver into my favorite oak tree right in the front yard. Bang, bang. Lord, give me understanding. Now, the tree experts have already informed me that it will not kill the tree. Although, if the hole is not covered with tar, then insects could infect the tree and indeed kill it. So if anybody knows how to do that, I might need a little bit of help on making sure that my oak tree doesn't get even more damaged. Today, we're going to be praying the prayer. Lord, give me wisdom and understanding. Lord, give me wisdom and understanding. So I started following Jesus at 21 years of age. My family had a little bit of church history and I had followed God a little bit off and on in my mid-teen years, but there was really nothing consistent in my life or a pattern of serving God. And to be honest with you, in the latter teenage years, in 20 years of age, I was really far from God. God came in at 21 and radically changed my life, and I began to fall in love with Jesus and be passionate about the things of God. Now, here's a little spin for you. I was 21 years old, already married, and had a small child. I was working late nights at a freight dock an hour away from where I lived at the time, driving back and forth to work, and by the time I got home, everyone else was asleep. So literally, every day of my life, excluding one day off a week, I was coming home to an empty house or a house full of people sleeping. So as my passion started growing for Jesus, I also began a passion for God's word, scripture, the Bible. And I started digging into the Bible every chance I could get. And this time alone at night was a great opportunity to do that. I actually ended up reading the Bible through three times within two years. It was a phenomenal time frame. Sometime during that time frame, I came across a portion of scripture of King Solomon praying this prayer. God, give me wisdom and knowledge. Give me wisdom and knowledge. And for some reason, it impacted me deeply and I could not shake it. So much to the fact that I ended up altering the prayer and making my own version of it, I began to pray, God, give me wisdom beyond my years. I prayed that consistently through my early 20s. At the time, not really knowing why. So let's look at King Solomon's actual prayer in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 10. It says, give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people. For who can rule this great people of yours? 
There's actually two different accounts of this story in the Bible. You can find it also told in 1 Kings chapter 3 if you want to jot that down and go over and reference them back and forth. In Chronicles, King Solomon says, wisdom and understanding. In Kings chapter 3, it's recorded as understanding. So that's what we're leaning into today. Now, as a young man, I began to understand that God needed to grow me in wisdom because of my life, hardships, family issues and difficulty that I would end up dealing with, and the call of God that was on my life that at the time I was praying this prayer, I actually had no idea that that even existed and how God would use me in the future to be a part of the church and many other things. But I could identify with King Solomon. King Solomon, the son of King David, a very young man at this point, was being asked to be the king over the most powerful nation on the face of the planet and follow in the footsteps of the greatest king to ever live, whom was very loved. I imagine that was pretty overwhelming for him. So what is wisdom? Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When we see that word fear, we think to be afraid of or frightened by, but really the scripture is saying that we are to have a reverence, a respect, an honor, an acknowledgement of God's ways and his principles, setting those things at the highest of levels and holding them in high regard. Colossians 2.3 I'm just going to quote a little of this for you. It won't be on the screen, but you can jot that down. It says that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. So from scripture, we gather that wisdom is insight into life and the way we deal with life issues. So the next question is, why do I need wisdom? You may think, pastor, you know, I'm not in a leadership role. I really have no desire to be in any kind of leadership role. Why would I need wisdom and understanding? Well, each one of us is responsible for leading at least one person, aren't we? That's you. And we need wisdom and understanding not just to make massive decisions But more importantly, we need wisdom and understanding to lead our lives day in and day out. Living our lives according to God's plan. You see, wisdom and understanding is for everyday life. It isn't just for leaders, pastors, or scholars. It's for all of us. So a couple of scenarios. What happens when you're not seeing eye to eye with your boss? How do you deal with that in a godly manner and fashion? 
How do you honor authority, but at the same time deal with your own feelings and the way you think things should be going? You need wisdom. Another one, you have a disagreement with your parents. I'm probably gonna be having a disagreement with my father for making fun of his gift buying abilities. But on one side, we know the Bible says to honor your mother and father. On the other side, you're thinking, man, I just need to tell them how I feel about this because I disagree. How do we deal with that? We need godly wisdom and understanding. How to navigate that secret that your friend told you that can most likely hurt them and maybe even hurt others. Those are very complex situations that we need insight from God to navigate through. How to care for someone during the most difficult time of their lives. That's crisis, hardships, and tragedy. Again, difficult. And we need godly wisdom to wrap our arms around those people and help walk them through those seasons. We need wisdom to walk ourselves through those seasons. So I see two ways for us to increase in wisdom. There's only a couple of blanks today, people. I'm trying to take it easy on you. The first way is to ask God. King Solomon exampled this for us. He simply asked God for wisdom. You talk about audacity. Some young kid asking God the Father to instill wisdom and knowledge in him is a pretty audacious prayer. The Bible teaches us that if anyone lacks wisdom, we should ask for it. Let's look at James 1.5 together. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. I was going through one of the most difficult seasons of my life. And I say one of the most difficult seasons of my life because it kind of becomes a catalog, if you know what I'm saying. Life is tough. And it's not just me, it's all of us. We could sort through those things. And I was sitting in my living room, in the carpet, with a Bible sitting in front of me. And I began to cry out to God, God, I can't do this anymore. I didn't know what not doing it anymore looked like. I didn't have any other thoughts in my mind at the time, but I knew I was just done and life was overwhelming to me. And I began to ask him for wisdom and insight. And he directed me to Philippians chapter four, verses five through seven. Now this is a passage that I had read up until that point so many times, but this time it hit me differently. Let's read it together. It says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, 
But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What I felt God was speaking to me, the wisdom that he was giving me in that setting because I had asked him for it was Clint, you do your part and I'll do my part. And don't be anxious about my part because no matter how hard this season is, I will lead you through it every step of the way. And he did. We have to ask God when we need wisdom and understanding. It's also good for us to ask others. Several years back, six years ago or so, I was really struggling with my lack of education. I have no college degree or formal education. And as I grew and developed as a leader, as a pastor, I began to second guess myself and start asking the questions like, is this something I need to do? Is this something God would have me do? And to be honest with you, it was pretty daunting having four children and having a really busy job ministry and looking at what it would look like to go back and just start all over. So I asked my pastor, my mentor, my friend, Rodney. Went to Pastor Rodney and said, this is a stumbling block for me. It's messing with me, it's messing with my confidence. Do I need to go back and get a degree? And he looked me in the eyes and he said, Clint, if you keep digging into what God has you doing right now, if you lean in and read the books that you need to be reading and the areas that you need to grow in, if you stay committed and tied into God's word, then what you're learning right now is more valuable than any degree that you could ever earn. And he was right. Now, I will tell you this, there's, there's still a part of me that thinks it would be nice to have a, a degree, and I hold education in a high regard, and still wish that I took advantage of the time that I had the opportunity. Hear me on that. But asking others is sometimes necessary. If I wouldn't have invited Pastor Rodney into that discussion, he couldn't have given me those words of wisdom and understanding. You need to do that in your life as well. The second way to increase wisdom is solitude. And solitude is this, it's time with God and in your own thoughts. Time with God and in your own thoughts. Now, when I said the word solitude, Many of us in the room cringed a little bit and got real nervous, okay? You might even be shaking where you're sitting. Because to think of spending large amounts of time alone is very scary for us as human beings. We understand that we are at our most vulnerable state when we are by ourselves. The Bible, in fact, Really, it says isolation breeds deception and that the devil works within that. But there is a big difference between isolation and solitude. Isolation usually serves the flesh. 
And we fear this because we know we're susceptible. But solitude serves the mind, the body, the soul, and the spirit. And while you are alone, you're not alone at all. Because everything that you're doing, you're doing it on purpose with intentionality. And you're leaning into your relationship with God. Now this could be discouraging because we think, what, what do I just sit and kumbaya and meditate hours on hours? No, that's not what solitude looks like. I'll tell you what solitude looked like for me yesterday. Solitude looked like getting up early and reading my daily Bible plan. It looked like sitting on my couch and looking out my window at the grass in, that I love and, and praying to God and thinking about the kind of man that I want to be. Solitude looked like me getting my beautiful lab and taking her for a walk around the block when there was no other human beings in sight. It doesn't have to be tons of time and it can look many different ways, but what I wanna challenge you with today is to consider what solitude looks like for you. Jesus modeled this for us. In Mark chapter six, set the scene for you a bit. This is right after Jesus and his disciples fed the 5,000. They had to be exhausted, worn out. Jesus is aware of this, and let's look at this scripture. Mark chapter six, 45 through 46 says, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side of Bethsaida while he himself was sending away the crowd. After bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. Now, if you go back and you study the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I highly recommend for you to do that because that's the life of Jesus. If you go back and study, you see account after account of Jesus removing himself for times of solitude so that he could seek wisdom and understanding from the Father. You also see Jesus encouraging those that follow him to do the same thing. So he exampled it and he taught it and helped others execute it. So as I was preparing for this weekend, began to really think about my life as a whole. That story I told you, 21-year-old Clint Smith, hard to believe that was 20 years ago. I started thinking through some seasons of life. The current season that I'm in and what solitude means in this season because I've realized that every substantial growth that I've had in my life is always built on how much time alone I'm spending with God. So recently, three and a half, four months ago, I changed my routine. I have lived my whole life of being a night owl. And when I would study, read, pray, it would always happen in the evening. 
But I felt God was leading me to make a change there because it was inadequate for the season of life that I'm in. And I've changed from being a night owl to declaring that I am an early riser. And that is not easy. I don't have a long lineage of early risers in my family. But here's the thing. I'm now spending 60 to 90 minutes alone nearly every day with God. I don't say that to brag. I say that because I want you to know I need that. I do it out of necessity and desire. Because if I want to be the man of God that he wants me to be, the father, the husband, the leader, the follower of Jesus, that's what I need to be doing. One of the biggest perks of this change that I've noticed is a freedom from distractions. I want to speak this to you today. You may think, man, I, I can't even imagine having time to be alone. It doesn't come cheap. It comes at a price. And sometimes the price looks like putting your cell phone down, turning your television off, going outside, getting away from the distractions of life in this world and making it happen. The next season of life for me was five or six years ago around the time that Pastor Rodney and I had that conversation. At the time, my, my family was going to bed early. We were a younger family. And evenings became a place of study. So when the whole family would go to sleep, I'd turn my reading lamp on. And instead of our bedroom being a theater where we consume lots of television, we turned it into a library. And I went to the university and dug into what God had for me during that season. I, I look and think, gosh, it's, it's pretty audacious to be comparing yourself to King Solomon, Clint. That's not what I'm trying to do. Because I really don't see myself as wise, but I do see myself increasing in wisdom. And I want to encourage you to do the same thing. The last season that I want to share with you goes back to that 21-year-old Clint, the late nights digging in. My Papa Smith came up from Texas to hang out with us. He was a very encouraging grandfather. And he could see something was different. He saw my passion and my zeal. He saw how I was connecting with scripture. And he challenged me. He said, boy, that, that many loved me, even though I was a grown man, kind of, I was 21. Boy, let's make a pact. If you'll read the Bible every day 
for the next year for 30 minutes. I'll do it with you. If you will pray every day for 30 minutes, I'll do it with you. That prayer combined with the passion that I already had for scripture, God used that as a catalyst in my life that changed everything. He leaned into me and he said, I promise you if we do that, your life will never be the same. And I took that commitment and so did he. And he was right. My life has never been the same. Psalm 51, six. This is King David, Solomon's father speaking here. It says, behold, you desire truth in the innermost being and in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. Here's something I discovered. When we ask God, when we pray an audacious prayer, that prayer gets even more powerful when we are willing to put action with it. There's power when you say, God, give me wisdom and understanding. And oh, by the way, I'm willing to spend the time necessary with you to receive it. Because there is this residual wisdom that you will have when you spend lots of time with God. You'll be dealing with something and say something that you're like, where did that come from? I'm not that smart. It's that godly wisdom just falling off of you. Those prayer cards, it's not just something we go through the motions with. It means a lot. I believe God's transforming our church because we're digging into praying over these needs and he wants to change your life as well. So I want to ask you the question, what is it that you need godly wisdom and understanding for to navigate the tides of life? As we go back into a prayer, after the prayer is over, I want you to be writing those things down and throughout the end of the experience, come and hang that on one of our prayer boards and let's believe that God is going to give you wisdom and understanding and let's believe that you're going to spend the time with him that's necessary. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your wisdom. I thank you for the example of young King Solomon in his big prayer. Thank you for honoring that prayer and fulfilling that prayer and making him the wisest person to ever walk the earth other than Jesus. 
We love you and we honor you, Lord, and we pray for godly wisdom and understanding because we want to be more like you and we want to navigate the life with your goodness in your ways. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to the North Church Podcast. We hope that you have been encouraged and empowered by the Word of God. For more information about North Church, check out our website at north.church. There you can view more messages and join us for experiences live online. You can also subscribe to this podcast in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great week and remember to love God, love people, and follow Jesus.